Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We have a great show for you today after a a short hiatus after the Australian Open. We were all very sleep-deprived, and uh, we took a week. But we are back with uh, Novak Djokovic breaking Roger Federer's all-time weeks at number one record with 311. Roger Federer's return upcoming Uh, This week at the Qatar Open in Doha. And finally, we will continue our serialized stroke analysis of the big three. And uh, it is time to to review the serve after we're done with those first two topics. But let's start with Djokovic. Uh, 311, 311 weeks at number one. This is this is up there as far as accomplishments. You know, when you when you look back on someone's career, I'd say, Joel. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's almost this almost six years, number one. And it just shows you how Novak has been doing this over a 10, 11 year period and uh, passing people like, uh, like Lendl and Connors and Sampras and all these giants of the game. And you just see um, how Novak's done it also in the era, fine with the other two. They for a while had a little bit of just each other. So pretty interesting. I think what's significant about it is that nobody's going to catch him anytime soon because the way that the ATP tour came out with their COVID ranking system, it's really going to benefit Novak. And it's not like Rogers, you know, he's just coming back. He's getting his sea legs. So he's going to be there for a while. He touched it and now he's running off with it. I think that's definitely true. And, and Federer will drop to number six in the world starting next week. Stefano Tsitsipas is going to overtake him in the rankings. But the breakdown for, for Djokovic is pretty interesting. I went back and I looked at when he's become year number one. And it's not like he had this big, long stretch like Roger Federer did when, when he, he broke Sampras's record for uh, consecutive year-end number one titles. Uh, Djokovic has done it in these little spurts in July, 2011, he first became number one and did it for, or or had it for a year. Then again, in November, 2012 through October, 2013, about a year, his longest stretch was July, 2014 to November, 2016. That's closer to two, three years, uh, November, 2018 to November, 2019, which is when he, he came back and, um, kind of regained his form and then most recently february 2020 he took it back from nadal and uh, that leads us to today so joel as you said that is about six years 5.98 years if i put it in my calculator it's kind <laughs> so of interesting he, it's it's little uh it hasn't he's been do it. he's had to do it around these other guys because see mm-hmm. they they've reached stages in their career whether physically or emotionally or whatever that the number one ranking a little less important to each of them to Federer and Nadal. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It just as far as less of a, of a goalpost for them to attain. I think year end number one, I'm very big on that. I think that's a really important 
thing. But along the way and the pennant race and where it's going, I mean, I think, you know, Federer had his a, a long run there and Nadal has had periods where he's been in and out of the game. So, and Novak, Novak has been so consistent and solid. I mean, and, and as Amy said, it looks like he's going to have it for great many. I mean, I wonder if he could get to 400. That would be amazing. And he is the youngest of the three. And he is not showing any signs of stopping as we are going to discuss his serve later, which is, <laughs> if you can believe it, getting better and better. Well, I think it also ties into motivation. This is a record that he wanted, and he, he really has set out two goals for himself and hasn't been afraid to admit it, that one is the slam record, and then the other was weeks at number one. And he says, now that I've achieved, he said this after his Australian Open final, now that I've achieved the record for weeks at number one, I'm going to focus on slams even more so than I have in the past. And then he and then he said, I won't be playing the other tournaments as much. And then he announced that he was going to play Miami well, and Monte Carlo. <laughs> well, again, and again, as long as the other guys are kind of beating each other, none of them are climbing to the top anyway. Right. So as long as whether it's Federer, whether it's Sitsipas, whether it's team, all these other people are, are keeping the others from being yeah. number one anyway. So he'll just continue to be atop the mountain that way. So very interesting. Yes. Uh, so congratulations to Novak. Um, and it's a, it's definitely something to be proud of uh, for, for him, a, a great accomplishment. Let's go on to Roger Federer, who will return this week. Very exciting. Amy, how excited are you to see this? Oh, yeah. I've been like um, <laughs> reaching out to all my Federer people and saying, send me your practice videos. Send me. Yeah. I even uh, tweeted some video of him walking through the airport because he's got that little boy spring in his step. And when I looked at the practice video that has been posted by fans and now posted by the ATP, um, you can see he's back, you know, he's back to where he was, unlike that video that was posted at the start of the year back in January. He's hitting um, the backhand on the front foot again, like he always has. He's got the little quick steps. He's got the movement. Um, and I really don't think that he would be playing this tournament if he weren't world-class level. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can argue with that. Yeah, his, his movement w looked very good in the practice videos. I mean, he looked graceful. He looked like Roger Federer. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's – we got to see him play a match against a, a world-class opponent. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think – at least he's saying that he's not really very focused on results right now. And it's, it's just about getting out there and it's really getting ready for Wimbledon more than anything. It's not about well, winning tennis matches now. I, I, I think that may be code for don't get upset if I don't win the tournament, but I think he's going to win matches. <laughs> said the same thing. Remember, he said the same thing in 2017 when he came back from the half of 16 and he's coming to Australia. Hoping, hey, look, it's, you don't have to be like a, a, a genius in uh, communications management to know how you articulate these things of process. I mean, there's so much, there's so much of a language in sports and in tennis now for how we describe players talk about these returns to battle, the process, feeling good, getting some matches, pointing towards a major, all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. And you can see, I mean, so on the first day of Wimbledon, do I get to ask in a press conference? All right, Roger, this is the one you're pointing to. 
is this the one you're going to win? No, that's still going to be about the process. I mean, there's so much, this is why I am, um, and, and no one does this better than Roger Federer at kind of uh, communicating. I call him the sun king. He's so wise and, but it's, it's going to be with the racket. That's what all, that's what we're waiting for him to right. talk most with, you know, the talk is just the talk. But yeah, the thing that I have been the most curious about is what he's going to do about clay season, because that's brutal, right? That's hard on the body. And we know that clay is not his best surface. Yet he has some clay tournaments that are favorites like Rome. And if he has any intention of playing Roland Garros, he probably needs at least one clay tournament, right? So he was asked about clay season. And he says, I have to get through Doha first, then see how things look in Dubai which he is committed to, then a month of training, then we see how it looks for clay season. The year is long. I still need a lot of answers before I know what the clay season looks like for me. Yeah, but then- uh, I, like Roger Federer quote. What a great, <laughs> that is like so, he, he is so, it's like, I've got this now. Then by the way, I'm taking a month. I'm gonna yeah. work. Yeah. Gonna, so don't, don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. I'm going to see, and then I'll let you know, I'll let you know, and I'll let you know kindly. I'll let you know in advance. And I don't know the Istanbul wild cards, who knows about Madrid. We'll see the body. I mean, he is so well fine-tuned and he can play wherever he wants, when he wants. So I, I read a different quote though. Okay. Well, give I it read, to I me. I read another quote me. that he, he said he'd probably play clay season, not for the results, but just to get the, but for the physical conditioning. So mm. I mean, there were two parts of the press conference. The, obviously, the first half was in English, and then I think it, it switched to, uh, to German. So uh, I think uh, there might have been some difference in the answer there. Well, so he's going to – but it's all – he's playing the whole year for the purpose of yeah. fitness and enjoying the year, and we'll see. And it's, but obviously, at this stage in his career and who he is, he wants to be as healthy as possible for Wimbledon, have just enough match play, not too much. I mean, I could see a scenario where he plays – here I am. I missed. I hate conjecture, but okay, play play one clay and maybe not play Roland Garros. And maybe. sorry about that. And and um, <laughs> we'll see. I think it's all. And again, we'll have to see how his body. I mean, who knows how his body is going to feel after these Middle East events? In 2019, playing clay helped him, and I, I thought he was a little bit undercooked heading into Wimbledon 2018. Yeah, and I think he he made that adjustment. So if if he's healthy enough to play clay, I think he should. And I think he should play the slam because you never know what's going to happen at a slam and it's an opportunity to win a slam. He's Roger Federer. I think I'm seeing a pattern here. I recall this from the US Open. Amy's like, <laughs> don't skip roll call right. at the majors. <laughs> but if you're pattern, a goat, don't skip if you can my, possibly my play approach, it. <laughs> and my approach is as you wish. I mean, I, I think, I mean, for example, like, like we had this talk about Nadal in the US Open. And I know I remember this before. Amy's dead. Don't don't skip those slam opportunities. You never know when there'll be a Robin Soderling who will open things up for you. And uh, you never I, know when Djokovic is going to go down. You know, for some strange reason, which happened at the U.S. Open. It was. It, it would have been. I mean, I know it, it. If Rafa had been in the draw, then it. it Djokovic may not have played who he played, and that incident may not have happened. But the point remains anything can happen. So I don't like the goats skipping the slams. Sure. I, 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 I favor them as they wish. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I'll take a middle ground. I just think uh, if Federer can play some clay tournaments and win 14 matches, right, over the course of maybe two or, well, probably three tournaments in that case, 
to me, winning 14 matches helps a player going, going into the grass court season. Like that's me, always going to help you. Five matches helps a player. In a clay. See, it's funny when you said play the clay season, Gil, you revealed, of course, your, your Spanish training, which is the clay court season means you, you're all in, you're all in. And see, to me, I think a player like Federer, I'm going to, I'm going to pick and choose my clay court season may not be this guy's clay court season. So I'm just going to give it a go a little bit how I see. I think it's going to be very much, I think we'll all agree, it's going to be very much tournament to tournament for Federer. I mean, for sure. who knows what is going to happen in the next one? Who knows what's even going to happen in Dubai? I was just going back to 2019, though. I remember he, he made the semis of Roland Garros. My, my point is he won a lot of matches there. Uh, and I, I just think winning, winning matches mentally, it helps any player and, and physically as well, uh, just to, to get that real oh, no match question. repetition. No question. It's just a question for each player of how many they, what they think that number is. You know, Nadal, Nadal feels like he's cheated the entire sport if he doesn't rigorously do his homework and play at least two, if not three, clay court events prior to Roland Garros and mm-hmm. play and, and be winning in semis. I mean, we've seen his Barcelona and his Monte Carlo records, whereas Federer, it might be a little different. And it's even the way each of these guys approaches practice and all that and, and how they go about what their off weeks are like and what their practice sessions are like, et cetera. So it's, it's fascinating. I have three more things on, on Federer and I want to make sure we touch on, on all of them. First of all, uh, skipping Miami. So playing here in Doha, skipping Miami and playing Dubai, very strange choice. If you're concerned about the rankings, because the, I believe the rankings will no longer stay on your the 2019 points and Federer won Miami so, so they stay on at 50 percent they're gonna okay right they're gonna stay on at fit right thank you for the correction um Federer won Miami so he's gonna drop from a thousand points to 500 points there and he's gonna play the next week instead of playing Miami you assume Federer cares about the rankings no, I'm saying this suggests he doesn't. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. That's exactly that right. So, no, this is this is the aging of a tennis player. Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, I don't think he cares about that. I don't think. I think like like the press conference said, Wimbledon, healthy body, legacy, grass, SW19. Roger Federer is in mind if he's ranked six or eight or nine, and then you're going to issue seeding things. It does. That's not that. Not, when you've been that kind of a, a goat. Not concerned about that. Pete and Sam- Wimbledon has its own formula anyway. So gonna be just, you know, they're gonna upgrade him whether he's, you know, six or seven, ten, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. And it really doesn't matter. You're when you're that good, you mean you players the likes of Federer, Laver, Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras is seventeenth when he won that O two US Open. You gotta beat seven people. If I'm a goat, good. Bring them on. Exactly. Federer Next. also Federer also expressed uh, that he wanted to start with a tournament like Doha because there's a little bit less fanfare, a little bit less pressure. And he said he was glad that he was starting at, at a small event. It's a good quality field, though. I mean, I was looking at it and thinking that it was really perfect for him. I mean, you've got teams seated one in the top half. And, um, you know, this he, he could end up playing Millman, who he had a memorable Australian Open in 2020 against. So um, there's some good quality opponents in there. Was that the U.S. Open? 
No, Millman beat him in the in the U.S. Open in 2018, right. and then Houdini passed him in the 2020 Australian Open. He had that played that great tiebreak, and uh, yes. yeah, that was a pretty. Memorable they know play. each other well. <laughs> uh, I think Millman's one of those players. He's, he sounds like a, a, a guilt gross of a pro. Once you once you've been on the court with him, you know you've been on the court with him because he, yeah. he threw a lot of a lot of stuff. But uh, yeah, look and again, I think Federer. Federer, he, he's so wise. Yeah, this is, a, this is a 250 that actually has a better feel than that in ways because of where we're at in the tennis year. And Federer would make anything, anything he came back to play would be back. If he came, I, I'm not even going to say the kind of, if he came back to whatever event he came, oh, this is a good event for me. It's a, it's a team event. Oh, it's in a part of the country. It's in a part of the world I like. I mean, he's, that's, that's part of the, the genius of the geniuses is they know how to make all these situations work for him. And we should know that too. We should know too that it's a, a great situation for him. Yeah, when Federer plays Millman, those matches are coming back to me. It'll probably be 110 degrees in Doha because that seems to be what <laughs> happens when those two play. Yeah. Uh, Federer draws the winner of Jeremy Shardy coming off a, a good tournament in Rotterdam and uh, Dan Evans, who they actually practiced together as Roger was uh, coming back from the surgery. So uh, two familiar opponents for Roger. Also notable, Team and Rublev are on the opposite side of the draw, so Roger couldn't meet them until the final. Here's the last quote I want to address. Uh, it is on retirement, which I think we talked about a couple of weeks back, how uh, we don't think that that is a question that should be asked at press conferences. Uh, but Federer said, quote, I'm not thinking about that at least till autumn. I want to play long enough to experience full crowds again. We suspected Good. that this might be the case, that it would be a real shame if if Roger was sent off with anything less than 100% of the, the fanfare that we would imagine. He also has a long-term agreement with the Basel events in his hometown, so that's in the fall. And, uh, yeah, so someone brought up, God, here we go. We give it a whole talk. I mean, he's so funny, this whole thing about retirement. Is like Feder, again, as if Federer is going to say, Oh yeah, just before Doha, I'm glad you asked. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you really, I mean, Roger Federer. If anyone is going to be more least capricious about his retirement plan, it's going to be Roger Federer. It is going to be very nicely managed and yes. very smooth. And I mean that as a compliment. I don't mean that as a that he's kind of you know prevaricating. And here's the one, Joel, where I'm as you like. You know, it's like, please, can we can we ask some some really pertinent questions instead of the retirement questions? Because it really is as they like. They've earned that. But well, I, just, I found the last part of the quote interesting, right? Not not the first part, which is I don't know, but the last part is I want the crowds. Is the is the part that's actually yeah. So you know, if if the uh, COVID stretches out and these variants, you know, prolong the pandemic, then I guess that means they're also going to prolong Federer's career. Although he might not play as much during that period. Well, all this stuff, all this stuff about results and matches and data. I mean, these, these years, 2020, 2021, even 22, it's all going to be very tricky to assess what players did and didn't do. And their rankings. It's interesting to see, for example, for what it's worth, not so much with our three, but with like the teams and the Zverevs and the other players, how their equipment companies are evaluating their deals that are based on, let's say, certain performance objectives. And it's like, well, how can you hold me accountable for this type of performance when I'm only getting this many matches to play and my ranking and points and 
all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's some very, there must be some very interesting mathematical stuff going on with that among handlers, right? I never thought about that. That, that, that yeah, I, that's a good point. There's probably some complications. Well, there. like rankings, like this stuff, like, and even stuff, for example, with, with players in weeks number one and, and seedings and significance of fields. I mean, it's, for example, we, Doe has a 250. Roger Federer hasn't played in nine years because it's in, it's usually in early January prior to the Australian Open. And now it's in, oh, of course, now it's in March after the Australian Open. So it's all, it's all in this different evaluation mode. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the surfs. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're getting into the serves here on three, and this is part of a, a series of serialized analysis of the big three strokes. If if you missed it, you can go back into the archives on YouTube and on all podcast platforms, and you can check out our first version of this was on the backhands. So now we're doing the serves. It'll have to be a little bit shorter since we had so much to get to at the top. But let me start with the newsiest angle when it comes to the big three serves, which is that Novak Djokovic has beefed up his and just won the Australian Open and was the tournament ace leader, which is previously unimaginable. Amy, what have you seen from Novak's serve recently? Well, he notably changed his service motion when he had the elbow problems, and then he changed it back. And he picked up Ivan Isevich as a coach, and clearly they've been working on the serve, Um to pick up some pace, but also the way that he uses it. Um, he has picked up pace on his second serve and um, not increased double faults really at all, which is <laughs> amazing. I mean, for those of you who play, think about just saying to yourself, I think I'm going to make my second serve a lot more like my first serve and not really have any more double faults, which is a testament to him. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the ATP tour website, they have a really cool metric on there called serve rating, just simply serve rating. And it involves, I believe, four metrics plus, um, aces and double faults. And Roger stands overall on that list at five. Rafa is at six and Novak is at 10. And I anticipate that the way Novak is serving, he will move up that list. Interesting. You know, it's so interesting. You see this as a, as a lesson about things, about someone like Novak, who over the years has done different fiddling with his motion, his serve, learned, practiced, but kind of, you know, you see all his discipline coming out of his motion. I mean, here you've got Federer, who also has a great motion, but it's got his own little 
you know, style to it. He's had it from a, a long time. And, he, um, and then Nadal, who's a natural right-hander, learning a lefty service motion. So that's tricky. But I think one thing when I think of Novak and the thing you added, Amy, about, okay, you take a, a recreational player who wants to serve better and double fault and, and not double fault anymore, but it's with practice. And, I, and I'm going to make my little uh, rant here about, I see a lot of players, do they practice their serve? Do they, oh, they play 11 point games for the baseline. Do they ever just go out there and hit a bunch of serves, you know, hit 10, hit 10 in each box. So that's 40 serves. That takes about 10 minutes, you do that, it takes, it takes longer to pick up the balls than it does to actually hit the practice serve. So why not people do that? And I just wish, I wish there's a little more attention put on the serve. And you see the way each of our guys, uh, Rafa, he's improved his serve a lot over the years. I mean, he still, though we know, it doesn't even matter. We know where he's gonna serve in the ad court. What would you say that is, Gil? How often is he gonna serve Why 85, 90? 70. 70. I think only 70. Well, are you, are you talking about the first serve or the second serve? Let's say the second serve. Yeah, I still think it's only 70. I don't think it's higher than that. That can be checked on the uh, ATP Tour website. You go to um, one of the tabs under oh, Serve Tracker. That's what it is. You can actually see the percentages, which is kind of cool. Um, but Rafa also did change his motion in 2020, guys. Well, they, a ton, uh, more, than, more than 2020, Rafa's and Novak, they've both changed their motions. You can track it through time. It's not one time. It's not two time. It's, it's, it's north of that. I think I saw some um, video of Novak on the practice court uh, when he was briefly with Agassi and uh, Radic Stepanek. And I was blown away by the, um, by the tinkering that was going on that was not unlike what you would see in your own game. It was kind of like, well, I think you should do this. Well, I think you should, you know, open up the wrist a little more. And, and I was like, it's just, it seems so random, but um, it just goes to show that these guys are never finished with their game. They don't say, okay, I've got that stroke. Now I'm good. I don't need to practice it. And, and they're lifelong learners too. So they were working on techniques stuff too, not just deployment. You know, oh not yeah. Just they were tinkering with technique the same way anyone would that plays the sport. Well, I think Novak, I think Novak enjoys doing that. And I think, I think Gordon Ivanisevic, who's, who helped Marin Cilic win the U.S. Open by changing his serve. I think that's a shot. That's a pet. That's the shot that Gorn has technically. That's his superpower shot that got him in the Hall of Fame. And so I bet they talked some more. And we talked before about how Novak is hitting it more wide in the deuce court, open up the court kind of like the lefty in the ad court. But uh, um, yeah, it's fascinating how these guys work with their shots. Nadal, I think, has always been figuring it out because, again, the, the natural throwing motion stuff, I mean, to learn how to serve with your non-natural throwing, that's a, that takes a lot of effort. And that Nadal has built as effective a serve. I don't think his serve is as good as the other two guys, as our other two three, but it sure works for his game because it's a whole thing of the matter of backing it up, the matter of not being put on defense. Don't you think Gil? Well, I look at it differently. I don't look at it as a righty lefty thing so much, or uh, just kind of, I think for the Americans, sometimes it helps them growing up playing baseball and playing football and just, just using that, that kind of overhead motion. So while I do think that's true, I also think that it's clear that Nadal growing up, the serve could not have been much of an emphasis. 
Uh, right. Growing up on a slow clay court, being fast, being consistent, you can just watch him serve in 2004. You know that you know there, it was never an emphasis for that to be an avenue to win points. You look at Nadal's first serve percentage. It was best of his career, 2004, 2005, 2006. His serve was never worse. His serve was way worse back then. He was serving first serve percentage 80% because he was like, okay, start the point, let's go. And I think that mindset really shouldn't be lost in this. I think that's also part of uh, what Ivan Isevich is doing with Djokovic is you know, getting it into his head. Let's win the point with your serve. Let's not start the point. I don't care if it's your second serve. Then mm-hmm. let's hit a great second serve and hit a big forehand and win the point in two shots. No, mm-hmm. serve, serve. See, it's funny. There's the language of the serve as a point starter, but start the point how? Start the point effectively. Mm-hmm. You're right. And obviously the early Nadal was start the point to hopefully not be hurt. But now it's, it's like a football team. If you, look at the, if you look at the serve as first and 10, can the serve get us to second and four instead of second and seven? Right? And right. how do we- Yeah, do- but I mean, you cannot sell Rafa's current serve short because if you look on that ATP um, serve efficiency or serve rating, um, he's number six and Novak is at number 10. And by the way, there's some pretty awesome servers like Kevin Anderson who are behind Rafa. Now included in that metric are, is, you know, did you go on to win the point? So the plus one aspect of this and the, you know, positioning and what he does after the serve and the fact that Rafa is one of the kings of second serve uh, points one also figures into that. Yeah. So um, you just can't say that he's the worst of the three by no, any well, stretch. No, I wouldn't say. I, I, well, I would say I wouldn't say he's the. I would say he has. If I just just the serve as itself. I'm not talking about the backup. I'm not talking about the subsequent shot. I'm not talking about the the, the opponent's return or the point winning or the fact that he's so good. But if you were to say, okay, let's look at it this way, taking ha, get, being issued one of these serves to take into battle. With your game, I would say, or, or or teaching a young person saying, "Here's the serve you ought to use." I would first say, "Roger Federer's is a serve. That serve is going to help you a lot, young man." And then I would secondly say, "Novak." I would not say it's. I'd say it's third. I'd not say. I mean, I guess that means it's worse of the three. But I would take. I would take Novak's serve. I would issue Novak's serve to someone before, before Nadal's. Well, I I just think that the stats are not in your favor on that one simply because Novak has several rungs behind Rafa and and Rafa clearly has a better uh, percentage of second serve points one. So, I mean, if you're talking about the purity of the technique, is that it or speed? No, just the serve isolated. I'm just talking about this. I'm not talking about the configuration of the game. I'm not talking about what happens after the thing. I'm not saying to the to the young player, you're going to get Nadal's serve, and then you're going to get the, his forehand too. I'm just talking about just the serve isolated. That's, that's, so, are you guys telling me that um, Novak has a better, um, I don't, more aces or no? No, I'm that... not. I'm not being. I'm talking about a technique. Okay, I'm, technique, no, purity wait, wait, of wait. technique. Let me just be clear here. Um, let me a, a technique that allows you to scale, to make the single shot better and better the way betters is. I'm not talking about statistics about backing it up and the great ground strokes. Look, all of these guys do incredible things after they serve. That's 
a major reason why they've won so much. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm only talking about the, the, tech, the technique of the shot and how, and how that technique can then continue to be better and reliable and do things. It's the reason why, for example, I think we'd all agree that the best serve of the three is Federer. And this has nothing to do with necessarily, I'm just talking about as a technical thing. I would, I would agree with that, but I'm not sure I would want Novak's serve technique because it's um, it's hurt him when it's come to the biomechanics of his elbow. I mean, he's the one who has said that it was the serve that um, ended up tweaking his elbow and, and um, bringing about the fact that he had to have surgery. Well, I guess, so, if, we, I guess if we think Federer's the best, then we could have, we have different ways of looking at like you know, we don't know how the Nadal motion has taxed his body. We don't know, and he'll probably, and we'll never learn. He'll never tell us. Novak, you know, Novak, there's such a interesting way about these guys, science, art, alchemy, poetry, data. You see what I mean? It's like Novak would be able to, because of how Novak's mind works. Yes, it was the serve that hurt my elbow. Because that's almost, you could see how Novak's mind works that way. And Federer and Nadal, they might see the game kind of differently. We, I, I might contend that some of Nadal's serve has caused some of his injury. Well, well interestingly has, enough, has. his his latest update, um, Nadal's latest update, does involve less knee bend. And, you know, when we look at some of the great servers, we just drool over, oh, my gosh, look at that deep knee bend. Um, but he's actually, Nadal has corrected it most recently to stand more upright and not bend the knees as much. On the toss, especially, he wants to be quiet in the lower body. It used to be it used to be pretty messed up. You know, he used to be bending his knees before he tossed the ball, which I don't, most people don't recommend, but I just want to weigh in on, I, I want to weigh in on the serve effectiveness. I, I, I feel pretty comfortable power ranking the serve as an isolated shot right now in 2021. I feel very comfortable saying it's Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, but Nadal's forehand after his serve is a lot better oh, than Novak's. Uh, Andre Rublev led the ATP in first serve points one percentage, Andre Rublev, he doesn't have a bigger serve. But, than... but Gil, my only question is, okay, you're, you're ranking them Federer, Novak, Nadal, isolating the serve itself based on what aces speed, just feel, I mean, no. what, what, what is it? No, I, I would say, I would say aces would tell you that I would say free points service winners would tell you that. Okay. I would, I would, I would Those say things combined maybe. Sure. Uh, but I think serve speed would paint that picture. And I think that Novak hits his spots, uh, definitely maybe as well as Nadal, maybe better. Scalable technique. And I was okay. Take, take our, take our prototype 14 year old player. Issue them one technique. Just do it at like a science fiction thing. Forget the rest of their game. I'd like them to, I would love for them to have, oh, if I saw them had a, a service motion like Federer, I would say, you're going to be okay. And then I would say, I would next give them the contemporary Novak technique. And the Rafa technique, for example, the knee bend. The knee bend to me has always been a, um, a, a suspect. Thing. If it happens when you do it, it's fine. I think the knee bend as a service technique thing has always been to me of, of secondary significance compared to things like the toss and the smoothness of the motion. The knee bend strikes me when people, when people are trying to learn the game, try to, try to do the deep knee bend when they're serving, I find that artificial and secondary to some more important things with the serve, I believe. 
Sure. And Rafa, I don't, and I wonder, I wonder how, and again, I'll never know, and I could be completely off base with this. I wonder how some of those technical things he went through affected his physical journey. Yeah. Well, I would, here, here's the one thing that I think it's really easy to agree on is if you look at Novak and, and Nadal in particular, I mean, Federer's just always had this beautiful natural serve, but when it comes to Nadal and Djokovic and all the tweaks they've made, you know, both have been equally impressive in their development and how much better they have gotten, how much better that stroke has gotten. I mean, Nadal used to bring his racket hand up with his toss hand simultaneously like, like Chris Everett. And that would be an example of something that completely minimizes uh, what he can do with that shot in terms of power. And Djokovic used to open up his, uh, he used to pronate his wrist like be way prematurely. And then he couldn't really drop his racket as far back as, as most people could in 2010, he had almost as many double faults as he had aces. I just find it interesting. One of the most interesting things to me about Nadal is I, I wrote this piece for 538, how he's basically the king of second serve points one. I then took um, a lot of video of his second serve, Nadal's second serve, to uh, John Yandel, who is a, he's like a technique guru. And I said, you know, why is he winning? What is he doing on his second serve? And Yandel came back to me and said, he's not hitting a kick serve. So this guy who is known for top spin on his ground strokes, topping the ball, he's not hitting a top spin on his second serve. In fact, his, his second serve doesn't really have much spin on it at all. Well, no, but so, it's spin, don't confuse spin. He would have slice with it. I mean, lefties rarely learn a kick serve. Right, right. And did have a kick serve. It's the lefty right. serve. The righty learns the kick serve to go to the backhand in the ad court. But basically, he is bludgeoning people with his second serve, and that's not something that you would normally think but in terms of points one. No, it's a slice. It's a slice serve, and then he and then as as you noted with your plus one, he does a lot. He, you better if you don't do all that with the return, he's going to do something to you quickly. I mean, mm -hmm. how many times have we seen the Dow? hit the serve wide in the ad court, take two steps to his right, and then just that forehand is just incredible. Right, but I also look at uh, second serve points one generally indicates who is winning the rallies. I mean, because a second serve, you don't have an advantage off the serve, and Nadal's yeah. the king of rallies. So That, that really is where the – the in the ATP on the men's side, that's where the battle is contested on second serve. Right, but Nadal hits. He hits. It's a it's a spin serve. It's just not a kick serve. It's a slice. I mean, this is a common the common lefty serve that he hits in the ad court. He carves around the ball. Um, there, the guy. The, it, the, it doesn't have as much as his first, though. Not nearly as much. It's flatter than you'd think. It's flatter than you think. It's deceptive. It's it's like you know. But it definitely it, it definitely has it definitely is spitting. I mean, you see the, the arc. It's not it's not a purely flats or rather go down the middle no no it's not purely flat it's just it doesn't have it, it basically yandel came back to me and, and he was like i'm not sure what he's doing because there's really nothing special about it he's winning the rally well, yeah. That's yeah. because now yeah. now he's doing now he's doing what gill said he was doing in 04 he's kind of putting the ball in play he's putting in play kind of deep to the other guy's backhand so now you're the returner what's your window for starting off the point in your favor Hit a backhand return deep 
down the line over the high part of the net, over that sliver, or aim at cross court. Now what Novak has done is we've seen, okay, it's my back in return. I'm going to hit it way wide to your forehand, Rafa, right? We saw that in the 2019 Australian Open final. I'm going to make you way run on the forehand. I know you're going to make it. You know, to, to play well against Nadal, you have to return deep and purposefully. Because if you don't and, return And what the three guys have in common is accuracy. I mean, all three of them. And, and you know, the, the people that are in front of them in terms of the, um, the serve effectiveness rating um, are Isner, Raonic, Curios. I mean, these guys have zero slams among them. Well, the, ace, um, the, the, the fastball servers. Right. So that that shows you that there's a point of diminishing returns when you go to develop, you know, your playing style or or the things that you work on. um, It's not necessarily going to yield great results to put all your eggs in the power serving basket. You're spot on. I think the serve basket is the basket of and what these guys do great. And I think you see the interesting to look at other players. How does the serve help me do what I can next to? keep me from not doing what I don't want to do, right? Make, make sure I'm not hurt by a return. I mean, so Nadal, you know, so Nadal, yeah, I'm going to serve wide to that backhand of the ad court. Here it's going to come. And now I can go to work, start the point in favorable terms. I think your word accuracy, Amy, was perfect. I'm going to, I can, I can reliably, and that's where I come down to the technique part, which is why we like Federer so much. And how many times we've all, how he hits spots, how he uses his serve hit spots, not just for aces, but to allow him to then hit his next shot the way he wants. It also gets back to height, which is uh, a podcast we did a couple of weeks back, maybe a couple of months back, because you have that trade-off with some of the taller players they can serve, but what else can they do on the level of the big three? Uh, not much. All right, let's uh, let's wrap that up here. Really fun discussion, great show. Uh, so much that, that we got into here. If you enjoyed it as well, Make sure to like the video, leave a comment, subscribe on YouTube. We are available on all podcast platforms, and we greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We will see you next time on the next episode of 3.